Hello, this is Patricia Martin, and I'm your host today for Young Anthology. In this episode, we're talking about heroines, popular culture, and Carl Jung's theories on myth and the self. I'm so excited today to have Dr. Laura Vecchiola, a clinical psychologist who works in private practice based in Chicago, and she's a former colleague of mine. We studied together at the Institute, and we're having her on today because she's an expert in women, myth, and the new generation of archetypes. She has written uh, a thesis, her doctoral thesis on the hero's journey and trauma recovery, um, and has also published several chapter contributions that highlight how modern myths, such as Star Wars and Wonder Woman, can do the very same healing things for the next generation. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Patricia. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, great. So, you know, to start off with, I think it's always helpful to really just get a handle on Jung's, Carl Jung's journey into mythology and get into the roots of that. And then I want to talk about Wonder Woman and female yeah, archetypes. Yeah, and sure. So, so let's go to the root source, Carl Jung and mythology. What, what's your take on his I think I can call it an obsession. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he furiously wrote about everything. So right, I think right. that's a fair assessment. Um, but I think he's not, you know, he's, he's certainly not the only analyst who is interested in myth, right? So I think that says something about myth itself, that there's this really um, powerful draw to understanding why myth is so enduring and impactful, um, you know, before um, Carl Jung, his mentor, and then maybe not so much mentor, Freud studied myth as well. Um, you know, I think the most famous example being his um, use of the uh, Oedipus right? myth and um, how he used that myth in describing his um, theory of psychosexual development, right? So, I mean, for Freud, myth was simply, it was just so limited. It was, it was just, these are taboo fantasies. These are unconscious desires that we, we cannot um, allow our consciousness to, to be brought to light. And for Jung, it was really so much more than that. It was really so expansive. For Jung, I think myths really served as a function or a tool that allowed us contact with the unconscious, um, that allowed us contact with these archetypal forces um, in their symbolic form and gave us ways to watch them interact, gave us ways to watch them dialogue. Um, and I think for Jung, more so than maybe mythologists or anthropologists, he saw myths truly as reflections of what was happening internally within the psyche, 
rather than reflections of our external world. So they weren't snapshots of, you know, what was going on chronologically in, you know, ancient Rome at the time. And they weren't snapshots of what was going on within that culture between men and women. Um, they were really, uh, for Jung, a representation, a reflection of these archetypes and the way in which they represent themselves symbolically um, in our inner lives, in our inner world. You know, I, I think sometimes we can almost feel that. I, I remember the first time I read the myth of Psyche and as she's facing all of these trials, uh, you know, it took my breath away. Uh, oh my gosh, she has to pick through thousands and thousands of seeds and sort them. And, you know, um, but she's, you know, she sent aid just, just like the other heroes. Anyway, the point being that they are, myths are still resonant. And I think that really kind of gets to the heart of what Jung was trying to explain about what makes something archetypal. When we're thinking about, you know, this notion of something always being true, no matter what the generation is, it's what Jungians think of as archetypal. But I know that word gets tossed around a lot, and I'm not sure everybody is really clear or agrees. You know, what, what, what do we mean when we say archetypal? Right. So when we say archetypal, essentially these are pre-verbal forces or energies within the unconscious. Um, per young, they are containers um, of opposites, right? So they, they hold within the archetype itself holds within it all its potentiality, right? So then in order for it to travel up and even the word up is a bit uh, random at this point, but just to give, give some semblance of direction for it to travel up into our consciousness, we have to give it uh, representation. We have to give it language or symbol. And this is where an archetype becomes an archetypal image. So even as we're talking about the hero archetype, it's actually a bit of a misnomer because what we're really talking about is the hero archetypal image. Okay, so let's just spend a couple of seconds on that. What's sure. the difference between an image and a story uh, in this regard? You that's know? a great question. Yeah, I, I think um, an, an image in and of itself is a story, right? Because an image is a, a, a symbol and a symbol carries meaning. I mean, I think if I were a literary uh, nerd, I'd probably be giving a different answer. But I think in just looking at a symbol, right? So if I just presented you with a hero, right? With nothing but... Um, you know, sort of the image in front of you, uh, perhaps the type of, so a gen the gender maybe, um, the weaponry, uh, the body type, right? These are all images, constructs, 
derivatives of this archetype, images, right? And they're already sort of telling a story. Oh, in other words, in one glance, you can sort of, the, the unconscious gets that. Right, right. So if you ask two different people, when I say which, you know, we're kind of moving a bit away from here just for a second, like what do you imagine? And someone imagines the Wicked Witch of the West and someone imagines Glinda the Good Witch. Neither of them are wrong. They just have ascribed different archetypal images to this archetypal force. That's great. I think that's a, that's a great sort of roundup of all the ways that, that, you know, we can think about archetypes. And, and then you have written about the Wonder Woman archetype. And I think, you know, maybe I should contextualize this a little bit because what is sort of rising to the top um, in the culture right now in the collective is this idea of like, where are the, where are the stories of, you know, anima, female archetypes? We've invested a great deal. Western uh, culture has invested a great deal in the stories of Odysseus and, you know, the, the hero's journey. What about, what about women? And talk to me about Wonder Woman. Sure. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's um, so great, right? Yeah. I want her, I want her lasso. So yes, much. absolutely. Um, I mean, I think it, Wonder Woman is such a, uh, you know, I hear that resonates with all types of folks because she really does fit. I mean, of, of all of the comic book heroes, true to form comic book heroes. Um, she's one of the very few, I would argue, there's a few that are truly mythic, right? And when I say mythic, they follow, you know, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey to the T and she does. Um, and she also really fits kind of the sort of demigod uh, stereotype, right? I mean, in her original canon she doesn't have a father she was uh formed out of clay by her mother so this very mythic sort of cosmic start to her life um and i think you know i mentioned she she really she follows the hero's journey in the same way that you know odysseus did and heracles and jason and um you know Batman, right? But what I think is so uniquely different about Wonder Woman is that she does reflect qualities that are more traditionally feminine. So that her, her story arc uh, is a little different. She, she's the hero. She's the, you know, in, in, um, Maria Tartar's book, there's this lovely anecdote um, in her introduction about Joseph Campbell's last year at Sarah Lawrence College and how he was approached by a graduate student um, who asked him, you know, I read your book, Heroes with a Thousand Faces, and where, where are the women heroes? And he responded, well, women are all over the hero's journey, you know, they are 
the hero's mother and they are you know the the goddess right they hold all of this mystery and the unknown and they are the their hero's ultimate prize the end you rescued you know the hero rescues the the woman and what more could you want and the graduate student responds i want to be the hero <laughs> <laughs> and i want you know and i want to see the hero right there's so i can say well if she can do it i can do it right. which is yeah. really the point of all this absolutely this yearning for representation um, so I think even just uh, in that sense, there's a huge appeal in, in Wonder Woman as a hero. But uh, more than that, she does her heroing a little bit differently. Uh, I mean, she has, of course, the thing that makes her a hero. Um, you know, she's got her strength and her cunning and her intelligence, much like many of her male counterparts. Um, but I think you know, even just in reflected in her weapons, right? Her um, lasso of truth and her, uh, so her bracelets of submission or victory, depending on, they have a few names, but um, these are all really nonviolent weapons. That's a, yes, I think this is an essential point. I think it's one of the points that Maria Tatar is trying to make is that the female hero, the heroine, can is absolutely full of the same valor and worthy of honor, but is promoting a different set of values that are less absolutely. about war, yes, and more about the the collective goodness, yeah, and, right. <clears throat> I think that's a huge piece. And, and you'll see this, I mean, most overtly depicted in, in myths of antiquity where the male hero's, you know, true purpose in his hero's journey is his own glory or legacy. Um, I mean, but even in like other hero's journey myths with men that are more... Um, like messiah type arcs like um the matrix or dune there's still this sense of i am the chosen one right and i think that heroes who have more feminine qualities or or women heroes there's much more of a sense of this is my caretaking duty I am doing this as a way to protect others or to fight on behalf of others or to instill uh, a sense of justice, to right a wrong um, that was done onto another, right? So sometimes there you'll, you'll see um, a sort of thread of a, a revenge type story in some um, heroine story arcs that they're seeking to right a wrong that was done to someone they loved. Uh, so it's really less about this sort of personal glory seeking. Yes. And, and it's less about questing mm. and, and, and obtaining to me mm -hmm. as I, as, as, and I haven't read the entire canon, but 
you know, I, I see the difference between the road of trials in the hero's journey that Joseph Campbell talks about and the tasks mm. that women are given mm -hmm. to complete if they are, you know, sure. and that's sort of the, the equivalent or it rides parallel, but, the, but those are very different concepts. I think something that is in line with that is, and this is both uh, a societal reflection and then perhaps something that has just been internalized is that so often women heroes are underestimated by the public. So using Wonder Woman as an example, I mean, in her origin, she came to America from Emiskira and her first job was a, uh, I believe an army nurse. And then she was a secretary, right? So these very traditional, passive, meek roles, sort of walking around the world, um, you know, un unassuming and any, any random person on the street would not expect her to be Wonder Woman, right? And so this other sense of, you know, obviously in the realm of, of comic book heroes and superheroes, there's this altered identity, right? This, that's that's a, a separate sort of piece. But I think in heroes um, in general, it's uh, you, your name is out there. You are sort of boasting your, you know, heroism across the lands. You want tales told of your strength far and wide. Oh, oh yes. Yes. Um, you know, when Odysseus comes yeah. home, right? <laughs> and he walks in and that arrow goes through, mm. you know, what is it? Seven or nine? Yeah. Yeah. Hammerheads or, you, you know, it, it's like daddy's not home. subtle. Right, daddy's home. <laughs> right. right, and I think for the for it's the axe. woman it's hero, axe. yeah, it's it's much more um, unassuming and um, less in this in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. um, Maria Tartar talks about this as well: is that sometimes some of the heroing is done sort of behind the scenes. Um, and that can actually be an asset that, um, you know, people don't necessarily expect someone who looks like that or acts like that. One of my favorite, uh, oh gosh, from middle school, one of my favorite female heroes is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, you're a yeah. Buffy fan. A Buffy fan. Um, yeah. A high school student. Right. right. Who would have yep. expected and she could oh. use that when needed, right? She could put on like, oh, just a, a high school student, no need, you know, to feel. Oh, needed. it was like a veil of invisibility. Mm -hmm. It was so commonplace that she oh. she made herself yeah. invisible, yeah. right? And I think speaking of invisibility, who had an invisible jet? Can you imagine a man having an invisible weapon that made him oh. invisible? <laughs> oh, well, I you know <laughs> Harry Potter, but oh, that's fair, I Harry. Think Harry uh, Potter, I think, think has more feminine, um, like hero qualities than not. Right. Which I'll talk, and we can talk about, you know, how it's not necessarily a gendered uh, 
you know, a, a biological sex, I should say. Um, it's really more about the, the qualities of the hero, the traditionally feminine or traditionally masculine type qualities that new heroes are taking on. And I think new heroes are taking on more traditionally what would be considered feminine qualities. Well, I, and I, using Harry Potter just as an example, yeah. Hermione is Great. full yeah. of courage and daring and seems to have less concern for her physical safety than you might see in a traditional girl sure. role. Sure. Right? And she's very commanding. Very commanding and, mm -hmm. and is not afraid to be seen using her powers. Right. Um, right. So she doesn't she doesn't fall into any of the social self doubt that would maybe you know yeah. pull her back. So I think what we're seeing is that this these qualities are starting to get swapped out across the genders, and I think yes. it's alchemically really exciting. Well, I think really what's happening is that media is catching up with psyche and archetype because archetype is non gendered right? Archetype is androgynous. And really only when we assign it those symbols um, and we assign it meaning, does it become gendered or, you know, in this fixed state. And so we're in this really exciting place in time in our culture where things are shifting and we can start you know, different people are given space to tell stories and we can start telling stories that involve different facets of these archetypal energies, different symbol sets. Yeah. I, I look always on the horizon mm. to see what's next in this, because I think every, every time um, an archetypal chord has been struck, with using a whim, a woman's story where she is cast in a traditional kind of hero's role, meaning she's following the hero's journey. Sure. Sure. It, I, I mean, if all things are being equal and it's well-written or it's well-produced, it's a blockbuster. Yeah. You know, I think of Cheryl Strayed's book, Wild, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's, it, it's a very rare example of a woman who is an adventurer. Yeah. She's just taking the adventurer. She's not yeah. sure what she's getting out of it. Right. And those stories are, are rare for both male and female. Um, Very much so. Yeah. Right. And yet it sold millions around the world. It got turned into a movie because there was hunger in the culture to see that kind of archetype. And so it makes me wonder, like, what takes so long for these, for Wonder Woman to come to the screen, for the right. next story to be written? What, do you have any opinions or thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to the movie in industry, there are a lot of things, there's a lot of issues of what, what will sell. Um, but I think there's always a, a need for these stories somewhere, right? Like there's always- Right now, I think it's very episodic. Like there's an episode here yeah. and an episode there. But I don't yeah. think when you add all that up, it's, it's creating a cast of heroines who you could kind of say, oh, now this is a body of work or this is, right, you know, right. um, or it seems to come up, there's a, there's a kind of temporal thing about it. So 
20 years ago, um, Women mm. Who Run With the Wolves. Yeah. Mega bestseller. Yes. Which was just kind of written by a Jungian analyst, mm-hmm. um, at Clara Pinkola Estes. And she, you know, really kind of talked about all of the lost uh, fairy tales and, and yeah. her- heroine stories. And again, it strikes a nerve because there's such a dearth of it available. So right, right. I, I guess I'm kind of it. My question is, do you, do you look forward and do you think we can look forward to seeing this more consistently and less episodically? I hope. <laughs> However, I do think there's a piece to having these stories that we're talking about, like Wonder Woman and these heroes journey-esque stories, they're so popular in the media because they serve to entertain. And Uh. they are archetypes really that, even though they serve our process of individuation and they do help us grow they don't necessarily feel all that bad while we're doing it, right? It's a really empowering. Yeah, and it, it, I think that it can be, um, you know, in my research, it's really proven to be, for some folks, part of their post-traumatic growth, right? Let's go there. I want to go there, Laura, because I think there's something very profound about these ideas that sure. this mythic structure that these archetypes have the power to heal people's trauma i really talk to me a little bit more about that and how you use myth in your in your practice sure let's start with the first the bigger idea of how how these myths are healing for us yeah um so i think one of the biggest components of why therapy can be healing is just to simply be witnessed and to feel this relational connection with your therapist, right? So then when you add myth and specifically the hero's journey myths uh, in where there's this calling towards action and uh, this saga and where there's this you know trial of slaying dragons and thinking that all is lost and then defeating what you thought could not be defeated meeting myths like that and connecting with those myths can feel as though you've been witnessed and can feel relational because you're really entering a working relationship with the archetypes of these myths in in therapy or I mean even not right you don't necessarily have to be in therapy to to gain therapeutic benefit from working with these myths I mean I think it's a great idea but you don't have to you you know what I I really I I feel like I want to just interject here sure just the sake of like putting a a face to this I I I you know I've been working on a book and this book has been like uh I I feel 
like Odysseus mm. at every turn, yeah. you know, just, I could see the smoke coming from the chimneys of home. Mm -hmm. And then the wind fills my sails and takes me off course. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think there I'm go. just about just ready to be done. all over the place. <laughs> exactly. And then there's a, then there's an ogre at my gates yeah. and yeah. I'm like, oh my God. But even yeah. being able to think about it in those terms, it's, help, help me to see that this won't so last forever. validating. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This, I, I can do this. This won't last forever. Mm -hmm. This is what it looks like to do something really hard and meaningful and, and I'm not, I'm not going to quit, you know, until right. I, until I reach the right. shore, until my hand touches the shore. So right. it's just an example of how, yeah. yeah. Really work I am, um, as I was writing my dissertation, which was a Herculean feat in and of itself, I, my motto was if Frodo can make it to Mordor, I can finish this dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's, right. there is something inspiring um, and then I, I think too, I mean, that's the piece that I meant when we we're talking about the, the entertainment piece. Yeah. There is power in these heroes that make it through, but there's also pieces of the journey that are devastating that to work through in therapy for someone who's survived some, you know, traumatic event, um, can be just as painful to work through as in the myth as well. So, um, you know, there are aspects of the story that are a betrayal, um, aspects where uh, a mentor or a loved one dies, right? In Star Wars, this should not be a spoiler for anyone, but Obi-Wan Kenobi dies, right? And that can be, you know, people are going through their own healing journeys and life keeps going right so um they can use some of the pain that the hero experiences even though that hero experiences triumph um to understand that triumph isn't a good time all the time right that there's a lot of pain and sacrifice and loss um, and that generally, in most of these stories, when they're done well, uh, the hero is not the same. And in fact, the hero is usually a little bit sad um, and a little bit different at the end because of some of what they went through um, in their yeah, effort they can't, to get through. Yeah, they can't yeah. unknow mm -hmm. what the journey has taught them. Right, right, and that can be really affirming. Um, that you can heal, but also, you know, if you uh, look at um, Frodo or Luke, they are not the same person they were at the start of their story. They are, they are wiser and they are compassionate and empathic and they have changed, but there is also a tinge of sadness there. And I think that's a, a realistic expectation for anyone who's healing from trauma or loss. Yes, that, that what goes hand in hand with enduring the road of trials is that it, we have to make a contribution to that journey from our souls, mm -hmm. which changes us yeah. forever. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
Yeah. Oh, this has been fascinating. Laura. Yeah. I, I, I ask everyone this question, your, your work in, uh, you know, writing chapters of books and contributing articles on all of this material is exciting to me because I think you're one of the fresh young thought leaders in Jungian theory. Tell us more about what you're working on now and what's, what's the future look like for Laura Vecchiola? Sure. I can tell you what I hope it looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, well, I'm working in private practice uh, and currently I am, um, I'm a member of an association uh, called the Association of Death Education and Counseling. Um, I work a lot with, as I've mentioned, folks who've been through traumatic events, but also folks who've experienced um, loss and bereavement and traumatic loss, traumatic and sudden loss. So through that association, I'm getting ready um, this fall to take my um, exam for my certification in thanatology. So what I hope to do, right now I'm a bit of a student, that's kind of my, my singular focus at the moment. Um, but what I hope to do after that you know, phase of my life is uh, through, and hopefully I've experienced some success. <laughs> Uh, is I'd like to really bring myth and storytelling into conversations about death and loss um, and how we can use um, stories and archetypal images and dialogues and amplification of, of those archetypal energies to help become more friendly with death, which I think is something that as a culture, we're a kind of a death denying Mm. culture um, and a very privately grieving culture. Um, But I think collectively, it's something that really, I hope to make more part of an everyday conversation to, to make more um, you know, just as easily as we can talk about healing from trauma, I'd like to have that conversation about becoming um, more open and comfortable with death and grief. And I can only imagine. Yeah, I can only imagine how useful mythology is in that. Yeah. Because yeah. death is never what we think it is. In in myth, death is... right. Right. right? Uh, heroes rise from the dead. Right. Um, it, Sometimes they, myths sort of perpetuate death denial. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's such a, it's a handy tool. I can see how you could use it in therapy. So is there anything you were hoping that I would ask you, Laura, that, that I didn't, or is there anything that you've had a second thought about that you'd like to go into? I don't think so. I think we've covered everything. This was really wonderful. It was. Laura, I, I really want to thank you for being on the podcast with us today. And you had so much to say. I hope to have you back. Yes, I would love to. Great. We're just scratching the surface of, of this whole area yes. of yes. Jung and myth and archetypes. And so um, thanks again for being on the show. 
and we'd look forward to having you back. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was wonderful. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about training programs, archives, this podcast, or to find a Jungian analyst near you, visit our website, jungchicago.org. Thank you to our 2021 donors who gave at the contributing member level or above. The Arlene M. Feiner Trust, Barbara Anon, Arlo and Rena Kampan, Judith Cooper, Kevin Davis, George J. Didier, Mary Doherty, Carl and Patricia Greer, Ryan Mayer, Patricia Martin, Boris Matthews, Sue Rosenthal, Diane Sherwood, Debbie Stutzman, Lawrence Chad Tingley, Alexander Wayne and Lynn Kopp, Gerald Weiner, and Ellen Young. You can also become a supporter of this podcast by visiting our website, youngchicago.org. Thanks.